You just heard a unique rendition of the Starfield theme played by its composer, Ainan Zur. Amazing stuff there. That was a special introduction to a very special episode of the Lorefield Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mitch, alongside our wonderful other co-host, Lexi. Hello. It's a special episode because we have news. I said at the end of the last episode that I was sure we'd have news by the next time we met, and here we are, barely a week later. Long time no see, Lexi. How was your last week? It's been good. It's been good. You uh, sold your Switch, right? I did, yes. There's not a lot of games that I play on the Switch, so I thought it's time I sold it. Mm, that's fair. No Starfield on the Switch for you, then? No. I don't think that'll be happening, but yeah. I had a good week as well. I still have my Switch. I don't play it as much as I'd like, but still have it for now. The news we'll be talking about today is that Bethesda has uploaded a new video called Constellation Questions Talking Starfield with Todd Howard. Some important questions were answered and we got some new gameplay, but first we did want to acknowledge on a more serious note the sad news that came out of the Bethesda Game Studios family in recent days. We learned of the sudden passing of Ferret Bedoan on October 15th. He was a designer at Bethesda Game Studios for nearly a decade. His game industry career started in quality assurance in the late 90s and then he moved over to design for Mech Warrior 4's Black Knight and Mercenaries expansions, Mech Warrior War was praised as one of the best sci-fi simulation games of the early 2000s. He worked as a designer on Van Buren, Black Isle's cancelled Fallout 3 project, and then he then went to Obsidian Entertainment, was a designer for KOTOR 2, and he was a lead designer on Neverwinter Nights 2, and a lead designer and writer for Dragon Age Origins, Dragon Age 2, and Dragon Age Inquisition. That was when he joined Bethesda Game Studios, first being credited as a designer in Fallout 4, and then he was also a lead designer on Fallout 76 and took over as the lead on that game's Wastelanders update following the departure of Jeff Gardner. And Wastelanders, in my opinion, was the most important chapter in Fallout 76's history, caused a total reversal in the game's critical scores, and really gave it the Fallout feel that it needed. So I think that particular one says a lot about the quality of Ferret's work. He then worked on Starfield, and uh, we have a couple tweets here. First from Jeff Gardner, longtime Bethesda uh, veteran. He says, I'm crushed right now. Ferret Bedoan took over as lead designer on Fallout 76 for Wastelanders, an eternal optimist and a dear friend. We had lunch several times since I departed Bethesda. He will be dearly missed. And level designer Zach Wilson said, devastating news. Ferret was a real one, a powerhouse designer and a great dude, like if a bear hug was a person. He did like half of the space encounters in Starfield and a ton of other stuff. I can't wait for you all to see his work. There will be a ferret-sized hole in Test 6. Um, and I'll just say, yes, space encounters is a term we haven't heard before. We're not going to go into that. We'll wait to hear about that another way. Um, the focus right now is, is on mourning the loss of, by all accounts, a great person. Of course, like we're all familiar with the incredible things he did at work, but most importantly, he was a loving husband and father, and our hearts got to his family and everyone that knew him personally. My school recently had a pretty prominent professor pass suddenly, and it creates like a heavy atmosphere around wherever the person works. So I'm sure this won't be an easy couple of weeks at Bethesda Game Studios. I don't know if any devs listen to us, but if you do, just know that we're thinking of you as well. It's always tragic when someone dies especially when they've done so much and i think the saddest part is i didn't know this guy existed until 
which does make me feel sad because I'm only now hearing his name. And that's just kind of depressing to me. I, I recall that he did a Fallout 76 AMA around the time Wastelanders came out with Jeff Gardner. And uh, he was interacting with the community a little bit. I think I was playing 76, just waiting for the update at the time. Because uh, I wanted to get all of the main, like, max myself out before the update dropped. So I could do all the base game content and then be ready for Wastelanders. Like I said before, like, Wastelanders was so key in making Fallout 76 what it is. But, um, yeah, clearly Pharaoh, I think, was somebody that made the magic happen in the background. And, uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's only after they've passed that we, we really understand the degree of their contributions. He was a real important piece of the puzzle. That's a really sad story, and there's no real good way to transition out of it, but I think we'll just go for it. Um, on October 12th, Bethesda emailed members of Constellation a new video called Constellation Questions Talking Starfield with Todd Howard. It's just shy of five minutes long. and features Todd talking about some of the games that inspired Starfield, what type of sci-fi Starfield is. Hard. <laughs> but then we get the answers to some questions. We learned a little bit about the warp drive. What's going on with that, Lexi? So the warp drive will determine how far you can jump and will not run out of fuel. So you won't be stuck on a planet needing to refuel. I've seen mixed reactions to this. How are you feeling about it? I'm glad. If you've ever played No Man's Sky, you know refueling your pulse drive and landing gear is the bane of your existence in that game. <laughs> That's why I have... I like brought several landing gear upgrades to make the fuel cost really low. I don't want to deal with that. So I'm I'm glad. I think this is going back to what Todd said in 2019. They have to gamify it somewhat. Possibly in a survival mode. Uh, you'll need fuel for it. But come on, this is a Bethesda game. It's hard sci-fi, but they don't expect you to like it's like in GTA, you can drive the cars endlessly. You don't need to refuel them. Because that's like, takes the fun out of it. Like, you just want to fly your spaceship. Fly your spaceship, don't worry about fuel. Worrying about fuel just takes the fun out of it. Because then you're always resource managing. Which is already a problem with ammo in Bethesda games. Those were two perfect comparisons with No Man's Sky and GTA. And I, I also thought back to... Ark Survival Evolved, of all things. When I was real into that in high school, my friends and I tried taming one of like the biggest dinosaurs in the game, and it required 20 actual hours of hand-feeding this dinosaur. So we took shifts for like an entire day on a weekend and tamed the thing. And looking back, it was such a waste of time. Hand-feeding this dinosaur berries from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. But, um... We got the dinosaur, but it's just that, that sort of thing where like, okay, you can make it realistic if you want, but how far do you want to go? How much do you want to punish the player? And I think this is a good decision there. No Man's Sky is an even better comparison with having to mine, what is it, ferrite and then, or oxygen or 
I can't even remember. I can't either. Or like dihydrogen. I don't know. Yeah, they keep changing the recipes every few years. <laughs> but yeah, Starfield does have a mining beam. So I'm, I'm glad to know we won't be literally like held hostage use your mining beam or else you can't use it to leave this planet you know <laughs> yeah well it's, it's good to know we can't be stranded on planets oh also we know that the warp drive determines how far you can jump i think that was kind of known from some of the ship customization clips we saw but you can like buy a better warp drive and then you can jump more light years at once that that, that does make sense because, well, it's like a car engine, I suppose. Or like a, a how much fuel tanks capacity you've got in a car. That, that depends how far you can go. So spinning that into spaceships, I suppose, it depends on capacity and I guess strength. So you have like the supercar of the warp drives. And then you have the rust bucket. Um... Oh, what's a really bad car? Um, the, the, hmm. There's one from the UK. It has three wheels. Oh, yeah, that's a bad car. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's like your worst engine. Uh, engine. That's your that's your worst warp drive. And then you have, like, the, the Bugatti Chiron engine. I don't know how it's going to scale, but I imagine... Like, uh, I'm going to use No Man's Sky. You can get really, really good warp drives in that game. You can go so far. If you uh, upgrade your ship, right? So I'm hoping that's the case. Where you can just... You've got the credits. You're bored. You finally upgrade your ship. You've played the entire game with uh, the basic frontier. And you just pimp, pimp out your frontier by the end it's made of solid gold it's got a solid gold warp drive there's diamonds plating it i don't know i don't know if people are sick of the no man's sky comparisons or not but it's the closest thing we have as far as like you land on a planet you get resources do some quests and then you get back in your planet you go into space and go to the next planet although i starfield's probably going to be way more interesting on planets and i'm well the ones that aren't randomly generated yeah i think the key is going to be that handcrafted content of which there's more than we've ever had although i'm gonna do something a bit weird with starfield i know i've said before i want to go and try and keep ahead on the main quest to avoid spoilers try and complete it as fast as i can while taking in the content, I'm not going to skip all the dialogue. I'm not that much in a rush, but what I tend to do is overstock on resources. And in Fallout 4, there wasn't a limit of how much you could store in storage. So I'm going to go to a bunch of randomly generated worlds and just resource farm for hours, like real life hours, to get all of the resources as high as I can. And then when it comes to upgrading, I don't have to go farming. Which uh, I, th I think is going to be a good strategy. 
Yeah, I think so. That brings up an, an interesting point. What do you think the resources are going to do? Because we know we can, we have this mining beam, we can mine, I want to say it was nitrogen being mined in the demo. What can we do with that? Nitrogen's, um, well, in No Man's Sky, nitrogen is an atmosphere of one of the world, like, air types. I believe in the real world we have nitrogen-based fertilizers, so maybe if you're growing food, you could use nitrogen for that. But there's got to be stuff that you use as, like, a component in building structures, like alloys and stuff. I don't know if you maybe get iron or titanium or something and put them through a crafting process at your outpost and then you can build structures. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I'll be curious to see how these raw materials are used in, in the outpost building, making your ship run, upgrading your ship. Like there's a lot that can be done there. Crafting weapons, like you name it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want, Okay, I have to kind of go between Skyrim and Fallout 4 for this. But what I would like to see is, you know how in the Skyrim like house building, you had to, um, you needed to build nails, a lock. You had to build um, hinges. Uh, what was the other thing? There was one more thing you had to build. Oh, um... Hinges, nails, lock. Yeah. Was it like wood planks? It was no. something metal. I can't remember what it is. I, you know, I, it's, it's going to come to me, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but in Fallout 4, the way they did it is you just needed the basic resources. And the screws were already made. You just had to kind of collect them. I'm wondering if in Starfield there'll be a mix so, oh, I've collected iron. Now I need to turn the iron into steel. You kind of have to go in steps. And I'm not going to say they're going to make that tedious because they probably are not going to do that. But there's like a little extra step you have to do. Just to make it a little bit more, I guess, realistic. But they might just go for like 4 and 76 way where the screws are already an item, stuff like that. And you just get the basic resources and you just start crafting or maybe it's a mix screws are found in the world when you scrap items but also you have you can craft screws if you've got the iron to turn into steel or whatever whatever maybe that is going to be a thing which would be cool and i don't in 76, you can bulk craft, like, screws and stuff. So it was there in 76, what I'm talking about. But I don't think it was there in Fallout 4. The item that we couldn't think of was iron fittings. Oh, iron fittings. Yeah, this goes back to a hearth fire. Like, that was where they first did this, and really it was the only time they did this. Is it bad that Hearthfire is my favorite Skyrim DLC? I don't think that's a bad thing. I Personally, I think it's very basic, but it's kind of that filler DLC. That you, yeah. 
BGS like to do in between the large updates? It just made it like a very light life sim. I was a big fan of that. But uh, yeah, I, I think this would be a perfect time to bring back that crafting the crafting components, if that makes sense. Yeah. Let's move on then to traits. So here's another one that's going to make people very opinionated. We learned we can remove traits through some sort of quest or activity. So remember at the beginning, we select three traits at character creations and those come with both a positive and negative effect. So now we find out that you can get rid of them by doing some quest or activity that removes both the negative and the positive effects. It'll be like you never had the trait. What do you think of this? I think that's cool, but there's got to be some ramifications to this. I don't know how you're going to end up pretending like it never happened. Oh, you had parents. Oh, no, your parents are gone. What happened? Okay. Oh, no. I, you... Oh, no. I, ha I have a mortgage. Oh, my mortgage is gone. Oh, no. What On happened? The, parents, the kid stuff trait says that our parents are alive and well and we can visit them. Do you think if Todd says that you can do some sort of activity that gets rid of the trait permanently, i.e. makes our parents no longer alive and well. Can we kill our parents? I'm pointing out that we were ahead of the curve last episode. <laughs> we were, we were. We talked about making them fight each other. Now we can make them fight to the death. So um, that's... Yikes, but... Here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> you say yikes. I, I get ideas. Okay. I'm going to, on, on my outpost, I'm going to build a giant coliseum that has like, it has spectators. So I'm going to have seats all around. It'll be like Oblivion's arena. So everyone in the outpost will be sitting around watching. And then I'm going to put my parents in the floor of the coliseum. Maybe unleash some Ashta in there too. And I'm going to make them fight each other. And the ash shall be involved and it's going to be a bloodbath down there and that's how i'll get rid of the trait you know that sounds amazing in my head like you've got all these cheering like in the oblivion coliseum welcome but, to the arena <laughs> but in reality the npcs are just gonna be sat in like on benches doing nothing no cheering no nothing <laughs> <laughs> it's just for your amusement i'll still enjoy it I, you know, you won't really notice that they're being silent through the sounds of the Ashta ripping each other apart. I mean, to be honest, they're probably going to get up and start shooting the Ashta anyway. Or the NPCs yeah, in the true. area. They're going to get aggro and they're going to... Oh. <laughs> You're going to have to set up like ba like glass barriers or something. Yeah. This might only be possible with like console commands. So that, that would fix that problem too. Yeah, that's true. And I'm hoping to get a new graphics card. Just for Starfield. Oh, cool. By the way, my dad listens to us, so... Dad, I'm talking about my video game parents, not you. You are not going to fight to the death against against mom in a coliseum. Don't worry. Wait, your dad watches this? He does, yeah. Hi, Mitch's dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's very supportive. So anyway, to, to back to this more general idea of getting rid of traits... I saw some people seem to think that doing this activity will only get rid of the negative, 
but I thought Todd was pretty unambiguous in, in saying that it gets rid of the entire trait, meaning you lose both the positive and the negative. So with Dream Home, you would lose the house in addition to the mortgage. Maybe that's like selling the house or something or giving it away. Yeah, giving it back to the bank. I'm actually going to take the Dream House, Dream Home trait, probably, straight away. Because what I'm going to look, Google what it looks like. Or, well, I suppose at midnight launch, I'm probably not going to see that, but... <laughs> but... I don't know. I think it'll be worth it. If you pay 50000 off in BGS games, that's usually nothing. That's like maybe a 120 quests. Like, you'll build up money quite fast. I don't know if there'll be an option to pay it off in one go when you have enough. Like, pay the rest off straight away. But having a luxurious, customizable home on a peaceful planet sounds to me like a good deal. I don't think the negative's that bad. Think about it. There's a luxurious customizable home. As long as it's not a shack. I think that's a great deal. And I think most people would take that. Just make sure. You're making money in Starfield. Because you have to pay weekly. And that will be in game weekly. And... Days take like 20 minutes in Bethesda games. So, you better get questing. Because you only have a few hours before you have to pay the first payment. That might take 100 hours to pay off if you just pay it weekly. And I'm hoping you can pay it off in one go when you have enough. Because I'd prefer that. And also, I have a drive. I have a drive in the Starfield if I have that mortgage because I have a reason to get money in a weird debt way. If you take Dream Home and Kid Stuff, that's a lot of money being siphoned out of your gal bank account. If you want a penalizing run, like the uh, the homeless run, well, you won't be homeless though. Actually, I, I wonder with this, and I was talking to you about it before the show, what if you store all your money in like a drawer or something, like in previous Bethesda games, or you like store it somewhere where they can't take it? Will they send like bailiffs to your house? And you can like be chased across the settled systems by like bank bailiffs. Well, I, I suppose they'd repo the house first, so you'd lose the house anyway. Do you think the Crimson Fleet would come after you in that case? Like, like Galbank might put a price on your head and then the well, pirates come after you. I think if you miss one payment, they take the house away immediately. And then you've lost that house forever. Like, it's something you have to keep on top of. That's the big negative. And that that is just going to drive me even more to try and pay it off. If I fail, reload the save and try and make more money in my wasted week. But I'm sure I'll make a ton of money. Because I'm just going to be doing quest after quest after quest till at least level 15. So that is a trait I think a lot of people are going to take. Yeah, I agree. It's a really enticing one. And I think our next episode will be kind of like the last one when we looked at backgrounds, but we'll be looking at traits. And that'll be great with all these new ones we have. 
Um, so barring news, I think that would be cool to go through all the traits, the ones we have seen and the ones we haven't, for the ones we haven't, guessing about what they might mean and uh, what the negative might be, because uh, there's a lot there. And then also, it'll be fun to speculate what the activity might be to get rid of it. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Definitely. On the dream home, uh, so we knew about dream home. The description has changed a little bit. So we now know that the 50000 credit mortgage is repaid in weekly payments that are automatically taken, I think. And that's different from before where it was kind of implied that it would be an Animal Crossing style of like pay at your own pace so you really don't have to sort of thing. So I'm glad that there's a little bit of pressure. It's not pressure. It's you don't have a choice. You're going to be paying this mortgage weekly. I wonder how many in-game weeks that would take. Yeah, you, we have to know the um, the weekly payment and whether or not there's any interest. That was a great question for my business student brain. Yeah, I don't know. Would it be 50,000 divided by 52? 52 weeks, and this is in a year. You could figure out how many years. It could be, and then on 4% interest, that would be 1,000 credits a week. Ooh, that's, that's actually not that bad. As long as credits aren't rare, like, more valuable than, uh, like, caps or, um, yeah, coins and Elder Scrolls. Did we see the price of any of the, like, ship components that might give us an idea of what a credit is worth? I don't believe so. I can't imagine it'll be that hard. Like, they're not going to make this an impossible trait you can't do. It's just, sure. it's just something you just gotta keep earning. You've gotta keep doing quests, selling stuff. Like you can't relax with this trait unless you've got like fifty thousand on you. Then it's a trait you kind of play the game, enjoy it, make your money. Whereas if you kind of just want to go at your own pace and explore, I don't know if this trait will be good for your play style. I mean, I just want it for the house. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. It's very easy to get rich traditionally in Bethesda games. So I think dream home kid stuff, these are going to be really good traits for people who are looking for a bit more of an economic challenge. And you don't want to be rich by level 10. You'll be paying a lot more credits out and it should be a bit more difficult, especially early on, to stay afloat. I mean, if I can, depending how nice the house is, I will either probably not use it, but just like having it because it might be uh, exclusive to this trait. But I might also build a settlement around it because oh, yeah. that and, might be nice. How does the house fit in with the outpost? Like, is it an outpost itself that we can build stuff on? It says it's customizable, but that could just be the interior if there's like a load space there. Well, it's a custom... I mean, a luxurious custom house on a peaceful planet, that means I'm imagining that's a planet where there's not much going on. I'd imagine it would be how it works on Earth. You're buying a plot of land, and uh, we have no comparison to what 50,000 is in what our currency is, but I imagine that would get you a sizable piece of land. And if it's a peaceful planet, it's not like... I suppose. I don't know if you'll be in a neighborhood kind of thing where there'll be other houses in the general area. 
I mean, I hope not, because I want to build a settlement next to it. Which yeah. it probably won't let us do, but I will build one very close to it. Yeah. So many different angles with the um, with some of these traits. We'll get even deeper next time. I think we went pretty deep on Dream Home and kid stuff, but um, we'll take a look at all of them next time. Absolutely. We also got our first look at the dialogue system, and I'm sort of confused. How? Okay, I have a question. How many times did you have to watch it before you understood it, or do you still not? I, I, I get it. You press persuasion, and I'm sure intimidation might be the exact same, and then you get four options of how you want to like proceed. I don't think that's confusing. That's kind of like in Fallout 4 with the railroad where you can choose your name and there's an uh they use the question option like what like why or triangle to un open more options i think it's kind of like that okay i was confused about the persuasion points so if you spend the points that is not a guaranteed success right no okay and then you lose a turn, and if you run out of turns and the persuasion fails? I suppose that would be bad news for you, because you've lost points and you're in the poop. Um, how do we get these points? Do we have to be successful, or do we get them when we level up? Like, you know, you get a perk point and you get, like, persuasion points. Or, or is it like... Um, you have to get a persuasion perk, and then this persuasion perk passively gains you points over time, as well as, I don't know, making persuasion easier. I would say with a high degree of confidence that you start out with a small number of persuasion points, and then you get them through a skill. So maybe each rank gives you two more or something. Because in the demo, they had four persuasion points. Those or persuasion points were represented as bars in this black rectangle and the rectangle had a lot of empty space to the side so you can get a lot more persuasion points unless every conversation you have so many points so uh this is going to be a weird comparison but i played a lot of fallout 2 you have your action points and your action points in fallout 3 new vegas and 4 are used for your vats and uh, well, in Fallout 4 sprinting. But in Fallout 1 and 2, your action points determine how many attacks you can do in one turn. Or chances at attacks. And you have to end your turn. So I'm wondering, after the end of your conversation, whatever your default persuasion points are at, they will refresh at the end of the conversation. Like, they refresh at the end of the conversation and you have so many per and you can get more by upgrading a perk or you know ranking one up or maybe uh, some items will give you some bonus ones while you're wearing it hmm. i like that a lot that would make sense if it's like every instance of the persuasion minigame you start with a full meter and just quickly I love the option you can just give up the frontier to them. 
Yeah. I, I love how quickly you can just... Oh, I'm serious. You, you can just have my ship in return for this. Yeah. People haven't really analyzed that conversation that much, so I thought we could do that in, like, play format. So would you like to be the player or the Crimson Fleet pirate? I will be... I don't know. Which one do you want to be? I'm kind of itching to do a pirate voice. Okay, okay. I'll be the player. I'm I'm going to do the weirdest voice you've ever heard for the player. But yeah, you're, you're the player, so you can do whatever voice you want. Okay, okay. All right. I'm ready for this. I've been trained my whole life for this. Not really, but here we go. There's no treasure in my ship. Cut your losses before more people get hurt. You're, you're not taking us out of this score. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you want to trade ships, that sounds good to me. The frontier creaks when it turns away. Yer, you willing to give up the ship just like that, matey? I'm going to be the narrator. Okay. The narrator walks out the room, closes the door. Jack gets in their car and drives away. Disappointed. <laughs> That's a wrap. Yeah, I was narrating the narrator. All right. Great job. Our theatrical performance for the day. I kind of like chickened out of a voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I liked your uh, pirate voice, by the way. I Thank thought, you. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. So, regarding this conversation, your first line, there's no treasure in my ship, cut your losses before more people get hurt, that initiated the Persuasion minigame. You're not taking us out of this score was kind of the response to that. And then when you said, hey, if you want to trade chips, that sounds good to me, the Frontier Creeks when it turns anyway, that was a medium-level Persuasion attempt. It used three Persuasion points. The one-point attempt which would have been, you have it all wrong, Constellation is an explorer's group, they aren't treasure hunters, very pacifist, very trying to maintain the peace. peace. There was a four-point attempt, so a little more difficult than the one we chose. I mean, if you want to embarrass yourself, go right ahead. That one's kind of snarky, I like that one. But that would have used all of the persuasion points. And then there's the 5% or 5-point attempt, which would have, we don't even have that many persuasion points, this wasn't an option. I just made it past your entire crew. You really want to try your luck against me? So yeah. Am I reading that correctly? That with only four persuasion points, you, you can't even attempt this 5.1? Unless it's blocked off, I suppose you might have like a 0.001% chance at best. Mm. Oh, imagine if so, someone would get that. There were like a famous Starfield YouTube video at that point. Yeah. I mean, as many people are playing the game, that's one in 10,000 people, 0.01%. So yes, yeah, a few people would get it, several. But I think it's what you think, and it's going to be 0%. But then even with five points, I think it's still going to be a low percentage. Mm. So this could mean that there are two perks 
relating to the persuasion system. There could be the one that gives you more persuasion points, and then there could be one that increases your chance of success. I think it'll be a tree. So whichever one you want to prioritize first upgrading, it's up to you. Let's say I have eight persuasion points, and I want to do a five-point persuasion option. Do you think if I use it when I have eight points, I'll have a better chance of success than if I use it after I've used those other three and are using my last five? I'd say no. I think you just lose the three points for this conversation. And then you only have five left. Or if you use the five and you fail, you only have three left. So you can only do the three-point option. Mm. But also, I don't see the chances like for a perk to give you more than 75% maximum um, per option. Uh, like a 75% chance of succeeding. Which this would be like max rank. I don't see them going any higher than that number. But I don't think they'll be 100%. I think that'll just cheese the game. Hmm. Really cool stuff with this new Persuasion game. And I now see how it's sort of like Oblivion where it's like a mini game and you have to you have to strategize a little bit but it is mechanically it's different but i think philosophically it's pretty similar yeah so then we'll go on to the recommendations then and this episode we're not going to be providing our own recommendations we're going to be using todd howard's recommendations so thank you todd for the recommendations on this episode uh, it's going to be Sundog and Traveler. Wait, we're at the end of the episode already? Yeah. Holy shit. So Sundog is a space trading and combat simulator video game, first developed on the Apple II. It's very old, and I was trying to look for an emulator, but I couldn't really find one. If anybody knows where to, where to play it, then that'd be great. Yeah, I don't know much about Sundog, except for the fact that it's a space combat and trading simulator which sounds really cool and travelers sci-fi rpg first published in 1977 by game designers workshop what uh what platform was traveler on i think it's tabletop okay yeah it is you said sundog was on the apple too right that's right i i swear there was a story todd howard talks about at some point, his first PC was an Apple II, and he tricked his parents into buying him it. Oh, yeah, I think he I said, think he, he, said he yeah, use it for studying. Yeah, that's true. And then he just used it to play and code video games. In hindsight, he kind of was studying. I mean, Todd joined Bethesda in a time where you didn't really need qualifications to um, join a game studio. It was kind of like gaming was big, but it wasn't as big business focused as it is now mm. don't know if that makes sense yeah because todd did not study game des- there was no game design course in the 90s in the early 90s late 80s it was a nerd thing i mean you had computers and offices and you know stuff was done on the computer but like gaming gaming was just a hobby and todd kept pestering bethesda and eventually they hired him he uh worked on the Arena CD port, I believe. And history ensued. Yep. I think we've reached the end then. Looks like it. Any closing thoughts on 
the video we had. The drought's over, everyone. We can celebrate. The is over. Can we, we can name s- the episode that? The drought is over. I feel like anyone outside the community won't know what that means. <laughs> the, the news drought is over? The news Just drought. put new Starfield video, put explanation marks. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Express our excitement in the title. And I'm always a big fan of putting Starfield in the title because it's better for SEO. Oh, yeah, because we're not called, like, the Starfield Lore uh, podcast. Because uh, the Starfield Lorecast is another podcast by yeah. Robots Radio. Yeah. Go, go check them out. Friends of the show. Yeah. I don't think we've ever talked, actually, but, yeah. Happy to have them in the in the space. I do, I have listened to their show. It's good. Yes. Yeah, they... I mean, yeah, they joke around like in the earlier episodes, but it's a, it's a good, good. I mean, we joke around too, so. But um, yeah, it's another Starfield podcast. I'm pretty sure there's only like two law shows for Starfield, but uh, there's not a lot of law to talk about. So, both shows are just more general coverage. For for now. Yeah. And then we'll get to the juicy, juicy law. Yeah. All right, I think that's episode 16 of the Lorefield Podcast in the books. I'm Mitch alongside Lexi. You can find us on Twitter at LorefieldNet, where we share news, analysis, and finds for the Twitterverse. You can also join us at the Lore subreddit, r slash Lorefield. We're always looking for new members over there, and that should be a great place to discuss lore as we get closer to release. And we're on YouTube as Lorefield. You can subscribe for all of our podcasts and some other video content in the future. And we have a Discord. Join us and some wonderful members of the Starfield community for more discussion and more over there. Links for all that will be in the description as well. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. See you next time. Bye, all.